What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Hey, good Tuesday morning, everybody. Welcome into the VolQuest podcast. I'm Eric Kane, Awesome Price right here with me. Brent Hubbs will be along here in just a second. We got a special guest we're going to bring on in a matter of moments as well. So it's going to be a big show, and uh, we couldn't do it without our friends over at Exterior Home Solutions. For a free estimate, you can give them a call today at 865-524-5888 or visit them online at exteriorhomesolutions.com. Go ahead and like this video. Let's get it in front of many more Tennessee fans. Fall camp starts next week. SEC Media Days was last week. A lot of recruiting going on in the, in the weeks leading up to the season as well, so no better place to find all that and more than at VolQuest.com. Awesome price. we got a whole lot of fun stuff to get into today, but a man we're about to bring on you know, knows the SEC and, and knows how to rile up the fan bases around the SEC maybe better than most. That's right. We'll bring in uh, SEC guru michael bratton and and you know this right here we've got the lakeway area covered baby we got jeff county top left top right we got morristown east and now at the bottom we got morristown west so i mean like you know if, if you want to talk about you know the lakeway area the citizen tribune's top top decade teams we got you covered but we're talking <laughs> we're talking tennessee football and, and mike we appreciate you jumping on with us and you know you had both kane and i on down at sec media days and you know you kind of get to talk to so many people, um, you know, kind of you know, going the route you go. Um, what was your overall takeaway from, you know, uh, those four long days in Nashville? Yeah, you know, it's something you, you boys probably would not even realize. Well, first of all, I appreciate being on the show. I've, I listened to for years and years. You guys really are the go-to source for Tennessee football. So it's an honor to be here. But to answer your question, I mean, there's so much going on. I'm basically spending all this week trying to see what I missed because there's so much information. There's so many quotes, so many videos. But the thing that stood out to me the most, and I guess I should have anticipated this, but it kind of blew my mind, the presence of Texas and Oklahoma at this event. Because I'd, I'd run into some of these guys last year, but this year, just anything Texas, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas A&M related, we put out over at that SEC podcast. I mean, these Texas people, these Oklahoma people, they cannot get enough of it. They are ready for life in the – the fans are ready. I don't think the teams and the coaches are ready for the SEC, but the fan bases are ready. And I know we got a season to go. This is going to be one heck of a season, but it's hard not to look ahead to 2024 when Texas and Oklahoma join the league because as great as the SEC is, and I'm the biggest SEC homer in the world – uh, it's going to get even better in 2024. That's that's kind of the biggest takeaway I had. Yeah, it just means more, right? I mean, you add two more to the to the conference, 16, and um, it's just going to get a whole lot better, especially if football is concerned. And, and Mike, I want to kind of channel it in more towards a Tennessee perspective. Again, you talk to coaches, you talk to other media personnel, you talk to players. What's kind of the vibe about Tennessee this season that you got from speaking to uh, the likes of other SEC people? confidence I think that this for the first time people genuinely believe Tennessee is back and Tennessee can sustain this 
because, uh, I mean, the offense, I mean, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, but it, it is for real. It's everywhere Heupel's been. The last seven quarterbacks, something he's had, have, have all put up insane numbers. And Joe Milton will likely just be the next on the line. And, and we're looking ahead to Nico and the future very, very bright at Tennessee. And, you know, the fact that uh, I – I apologize. I think I said the same thing to both of y'all, but but it it just struck me so much. We're sitting there talking Alabama, Georgia, which one most likely to be a win for the Vols this this season? Uh, I mean, the last decade, if I asked you that, you you guys would have laughed and then got off <laughs> and left the table because that's it's not even worth entertaining. But here we are discussing it, and that's not to say Tennessee's going to beat all you know, go undefeated and kill everybody, but they certainly exceeded expectations. Last year, I didn't have them winning 11 games. I thought they'd win maybe nine if, if things broke right, and they exceeded that. So if I'm sitting here thinking they could only go second in the East, um, I, I think they can exceed even those expectations, and they can win the East. They they do host Georgia. And Georgia, hey, at this time last year, we were all saying nobody can beat Bama. They got Bryce Young, Will Anderson, multiple teams beat Alabama. So that goes to show what we know in the offseason. So I think it, the fact that Tennessee enters the season with realistic chances, they're not the favorite, obviously, but chances to win the East, to potentially win the SEC, I think that has to be said. Are you shocked at how much, you know, because I was going to say, I think it works, to, to your point, I think it works to Tennessee's advantage that, you know, they're not picked to be the media darling. You know, they're not, you know, there's so much other chatter out there about other teams. But are you shocked at how Kirby Smart continually gets his guys to buy into this disrespect? I mean, like the people talking like after the – I mean, nobody said last year, what? Like, what are you talking about? I mean, yeah, people picked Alabama, but at the same time, nobody thought Georgia was just going to fall off. They thought they were a playoff team but didn't have enough to, to go back-to-back. All of a sudden, they go back-to-back and do it in convincing style. Yeah, I mean, I'm not totally surprised because he learned from the master. I mean, no one but Nick Saban has been able to keep a sustained run like this, and that doesn't mean Georgia's going to get there. I think, uh, you know, it's cliche to say, but getting to the mountaintop is a lot easier than staying up there, but Georgia has done it, obviously, two years in a row, and they should be the favorites to to do it for a third. I I just don't think it's going to happen, but uh, just because of how difficult that really is. But, uh, yeah, to your point, I mean, obviously some tragedies down there, they don't they're not rooting for that, but uh, the 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 narratives and the discussions and and the media down there turning against them. I I can't tell. I mean, I don't want to go off the record here, but many people we spoke to down there say, "Yeah, we'll talk to you, but just don't ask us about uh, AJC." So, I mean, they are even influencing the media down there. I think to where there, there's topics they cannot discuss. Uh, so it, it's wild to see all that, but. Hey, that's the power Kirby's got in that state. He's he's the king of college football, and I think he's running that state uh, just like Nick Saban runs Alabama. So, how does Tennessee get past them? Like you know, they're pick second. How do they go a notch above and get to the top spot in the East, in your estimation? I mean, I think they have to get stronger on the line of scrimmage, and that was evident when they met up with Georgia last fall, and that was with uh, Tennessee's offensive line significantly better than I thought it would be. So is it realistic that they can be even better this year? I don't know. But uh, I certainly know Georgia doesn't have Jalen Carter anymore, and he's a game wrecker. And I've had people tell me, I mean, he's the difference when they play Tennessee. He's 
was the difference when they played Alabama and Ohio State. I mean, when that guy, certain plays, he's just unblockable. And I don't think Georgia has another guy like that. So I think that is something that uh, not enough people are, are looking at. Uh, Darnell Washington, you know, he, he was such a freak, not statistically, but he was essentially a third offensive tackle on the field at all times. And, oh, yeah, he can jump over a linebacker if they needed him to. I mean, they, they, just, they don't have another guy like that. They got Brock Bowers, who – He's probably the best player in, in all of the SEC, if not the country, but he's he's different, obviously, than Darnell Washington. So there are pieces that uh, Georgia is missing this year, reasons to doubt them, but I'm not crazy enough. I say a lot of crazy things. I'm not crazy enough to, to not pick Georgia to win the East, but uh, Tennessee's got, got to get better, deeper on the defensive side of the ball, and I think Heupel and company have attacked that the last two recruiting cycles, and they're certainly doing it now. I think that's the key to catching up with Georgia because I don't think Heupel, his Tennessee teams, I don't think they'll ever have an elite defense, but they don't need them to be because they score so often. They need a defense that can get to the quarterback, force turnovers, and with these pieces they're adding, I think they're getting much, much closer to that. Chatting with Michael Bratton. He's the host of that SEC podcast along with Cousin Shane. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at SEC Mike and and Mike, so you mean to tell me you are not one of the eight individuals who voted Vanderbilt to win the East? <laughs> I am not. No. <laughs> and, and what that says to me, Kane, is just, I mean, I, I don't want to call out any of our uh, contemporaries or anything, but there's a lot of old people at Media Days, and, and it's all electronic voting, and I think they screwed up their ballot because that's the only thing. Uh, I think they meant to vote Vanderbilt eighth, and they, they did them first because yeah. – uh, either that or they're just trolling and it's I, to my knowledge it's all uh, anonymous so I, I don't understand the trolling aspect of it either so I, I think when you when I saw that it's the media poll is is what it is but it's it's not worth getting upset over so we're talking about Georgia you've mentioned Alabama of course let's take those two games off the table because we know how important those games are for Tennessee Georgia in the east and Alabama still Alabama it's an SEC game but a lot of other games on that schedule for Tennessee that are so important. You asked both of us this question. You got Georgia, you got Florida in week three on the road, A&M at home, South Carolina, Kentucky on the road. What game does Tennessee really need to uh, not watch out for because you're watching out for all these games, but which one of those games are going to be the biggest uh, competition for Tennessee if it needs to get to where it needs to go to get to nine to ten wins? Well, my answer is going to be very illogical. I don't really have uh, many reasons for saying this, but it's that game in the swamp, the Florida Gators, because I think Florida could be truly awful this year. Yeah. Yet they've been truly awful before, and they've beaten Tennessee, particularly in the swamp. Now, I realize that's got nothing to do with this game, and these players got that off their back last year beating Florida, but even that one, uh, as dominant as they looked in times, they nearly gave that one away. So – I think to get the ball rolling, kind of like last year, that Pitt game. I mean, Tennessee was worlds better than Pitt. But, again, it went in overtime. They were significantly better than Florida. But, again, that was a game that, uh, fair or not, you could say really went down to, to a final pass attempt that as soon as Anthony Richardson threw it, I just knew the Gators were going to come up with it in the end zone. But, of course, that's, not how, it, <laughs> that's not how it ended. Uh, I think going down there, building momentum, getting the thing going, because it would just be – the most Tennessee thing ever to go down there with all this hype, be a two-touchdown favorite, and find a way to lose that football game. Now, to, to uh, Josh Heupel's credit, I mean, I think this is a new Tennessee. I don't think we're going to be having these same hiccups, and I think that is paramount for them 
to get a win down there. Because here's how I always look at SEC football. So Heupel got there before Napier, right? So they're clearly ahead of where Napier is as a program. This is Napier's opportunity to close that gap and maybe even pass Tennessee into East standings. Now, again, I, I think that's that's a stretch because I, I got Florida sixth in the East. I got Tennessee second. There's, to me, there is a gap. But it doesn't matter what I say. What matters is what happens on the field. And we already got Joe Milton saying, hey, I don't lose in Florida. I, don't, I, don't, I, I wish he did not say that because I, I feel like that could come back to haunt the Tennessee Vols uh, in, early in the season. But to get the momentum, I mean, to, to beat an A&M, to beat a Kentucky on the road, Alabama on the road, Georgia in Knoxville, I don't see how realistic that is if they're losing to teams like Florida. So to me, it's that is a critical, critical game to just showing that this is last year was not a fluke, which I don't think it is, but they have to prove that on the field to me. Yeah, I mean, you're looking to try to win in Gainesville and Tuscaloosa for the first time since 2003. I mean, it's been 20 years uh, for both. And so, you know, the, the, that Florida game is pivotal because if you win that one, everybody can talk about UTSA being a trap game and all that stuff, whatever. Um, you know, they're a good team. Tennessee, it's not like they're going to sit there and go, oh, you know, it's going to be 55 to nothing and we're going to roll over them. They'll, they'll approach them the same way. Then you got South Carolina. Everybody's got them beating, beating the Gamecocks. And then you have the bye week heading into that A&M game. And A&M to me is a great unknown, uh, Michael, because of just, you know, everything surrounding that program and all the chatter. Yeah. And I honestly, right now, again, take my opinion for what it's worth. I'm, I'm accurate about as often as I'm wrong, but uh, I would lean A&M to win that game, even though it is in Neyland Stadium, and it's it's because of the line of scrimmage. I think A&M is going to be one of the better teams, maybe the best in the SEC, if not the country, on the defensive line, bringing back everybody on the offensive line as well. But uh, that offensive line was not very good last year, so uh, that, that could be a benefit. It could be a negative for them Aggies. So uh, I just think A&M is, is going to be a very, very difficult team. I've got A&M higher than, than Alabama on my West ballot. Now, could you talk me into A&M being a train wreck and, and Bobby Petrino, he may not even be with the program by the time uh, that Tennessee game rolls around and, and maybe Tennessee kills A&M. You could talk me into that as well. But I just think with their backs against the wall, I've said it many times, if Jimbo does not go eight and four, and that's kind of sad that I'm sitting here saying in year six, we got to go eight and four, you got to fire him. You got to get someone qualified to go in there. I, I think they're a nine, 10 win team this year. So that, that Texas A&M game is, that may be a more difficult game than Alabama, believe it or not. You got the 56 million to fire him? What's more <laughs> well, than that? Yeah, I think it's around 70, but uh, they'll come up with it real quick. Trust me, if, if they suck again and Texas <laughs> wins the Big 12, uh, they'll have that money in a heartbeat. Isn't it, isn't it 84 right now and it'll go down to 70-something after this season? I mean, it's something, something stupid. I, I mean, thought it was. I thought it goes down to 56 after this season, but I could be wrong. Regardless, it's stupid either way. It's a whole lot of money. So, like, if you want to have gone – What's the use of you know, well, waiting another year to get it down thirteen or fourteen million? There you go. Well, that's my thing. Yeah. If, if you if you feel like that's the the move you have to make, what are you doing? Like, if, what's the difference between seventy million and eighty four million? Like, yeah. that's just a stupid amount of money, regardless. <laughs> so, like, maybe he's broken a rule, and and Texas A and M can uh, invite the NCAA down there to <laughs> get rid of the buyout. I mean, that would be my move. Can pay for that investigation as well. <laughs> hey, we're, we're kind of going down this schedule here, and we'll, we'll be with you here for a couple more minutes. I want to keep you all day, but you mentioned the A&M game. 
Going to give you an opportunity to come around with another big-time toss-up game on the road at Kentucky. I think Kentucky's going to be a whole lot better, significantly better at the quarterback position. What do you like about the Wildcats at home later in the season uh, against Tennessee? Yeah, that's another team that I love. I, I got them third in the East this year, the Kentucky Wildcats. I think they're in for a big bounce-back year. Um, I, I truly, I don't have respect. I don't know if that's the right word, but I think Mark Stoops is overrated as a coach. I've been very clear on this. He's, he's a C, C plus head coach, but he's got a great defensive coordinator and Brad White, although he has no clue how to solve Heupel's offense, but that's not unique to, uh, to Brad White, uh, bringing back Liam Cohen. I think that's critical to Kentucky two years ago. He was the offensive coordinator when they won 10 games, but I, I think you hit on the most important aspect there, potentially. Devin Leary, the transfer quarterback from NC State, I think he's a lot better player than Will Levis. And I was a guy on at Media Days causing a stir a year ago when I said Will Levis, not a first-round pick. I mean, hell, some people were saying first overall pick. I, I said that guy should never make a, another projection like that again. And it turned out, uh, you know, I was right on that one. But, yeah, I, I, to me, the critical thing for Kentucky is that offensive line. Because that was a train wreck last year. That was kind of the DNA of Mark Stoops' program was the offensive line. And it's kind of the inverse now. Now they have receivers. they got a quarterback. Uh, they've got a really good running back, Ray Davis, from Vanderbilt, who was one of the most underrated players in the, in the SEC last year. And that, again, go back to the, the defensive coordinator. I don't know that they have a lot of high-end elite players, aside from one or two on that defensive side of the ball. But they're always stingy. So I, I think their defense will be really underrated. I think nine wins is, is a realistic possibility for Kentucky. And I I think that game means more to Kentucky than it does to Tennessee, certainly. So that that's their Super Bowl right there. That's one you, you really got to keep your eye on. Tennessee always beats Kentucky, so I, I do do lean Tennessee. But uh, it, is, it is not going to be easy. If Joe Milton is who all the fans and, and the staff hopes he is this year, where do you see Tennessee setting – uh, at the end of the year, where do you see them, you know, going bowling, all that? Probably 10-2 and two is, is right where I'd put it, with probably losses to Georgia and either Alabama or A&M. I think those are the three most likely losses on the schedule. But, again, if he's even better, I mean, if it, <laughs> I, I'm kind of – I'm still in the wait-and-see mode with Joe Milton. I'm, I'm trying – not to buy into the hype because I've seen enough of them. And I always believe you kind of are who you are after we've seen you for multiple seasons. But at the same time, I got to give Josh Heupel and that offensive system the benefit of the doubt. So I'm kind of right in the middle there. So I think that's a realistic uh, possibility. 10, 10 and 2, once again, a another New Year's 6 bowl game. And I think uh, if Josh Heupel was being honest, I mean, I, I don't think that's the standard by any means, but – I think they would take it with uh, the possibility for the 2024 to, to be a really special season on Rocky Top. His name is Michael Bratton. He is the co-host of that SEC podcast, does an awesome job. Find him on Twitter at SEC Mike. He is a native of the Lakeway area, as uh, also pointed out at the top of the show, so you know he's a good guy. Michael, appreciate the time, man. Tell us all where uh, we can find your work and, and how often you do your podcasts and all that when we're not listening to the VolQuest podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So it's That SEC Podcast, available on all podcasting platforms, highest-rated SEC show on Apple and Spotify. We're on YouTube, Twitter, 
Instagram. I think we even got a TikTok. I don't. I don't have much to do with that stuff. But what about we're on threads? all of them. No, we we refuse. We're not going down that road. We're not doing any more. We've we, we've 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 hit the limit with TikTok. Trust me. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Really appreciate the time, and uh, let's do this again soon. All right. Anytime. Really great stuff there from Michael Bright. I encourage you to go follow his work. He does an awesome job, and hope you guys enjoy that conversation that AP and I uh, just had with him here on the VolQuest Podcast. I want to tell you about a proud sponsor of the VolQuest Podcast. Been with us for a couple of weeks now, and we are super thrilled about it. It is Bird Dogs, all right? Bird Dogs make you look good. Uh, they got stretch khaki shorts designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and to give that leg truly a sculpted look. And, and Bird Dog shorts, they do the exact same thing that Lululemon does, but they fit way better. The fit is because regular shorts, they have that stiff, sometimes restricting cotton, but bird dogs fix that issue easily by inventing a cloud nick fabric that looks like khaki, but it stretches. So you get a slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement in your everyday life. Bird dogs also uses, and this is big for us guys, anti-stink sweat wicking fabrics that keeps you cool and dry all day long. So, uh, you know, bird dogs, incredible. I got a pair of slacks, got two pairs of slacks, uh, both khaki. I've got... Uh, Navy pair as well. Got a pair of shorts, the do anything type of fabric. So where you can go on a date with them, go to a business meeting with them, go to church, you know, whatever the case is, versatility is the name of the game with bird dogs and they're going to make you look good and you are going to feel great no matter the occasion. So right now, once you go to birddogs.com slash VQ, that promo code is VQ, enter that promo code VQ for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. See this right here. If you're on YouTube. I've got this Yeti style. It's awesome. Keeping my coffee warm here on a Tuesday morning. That is birddogs.com slash VQ or promo code simply VQ for a free Yeti style tumbler. You're not going to want to take your bird dogs off. I promise you that. And as always, couldn't do this coverage of the VolQuest podcast without our friends, Exterior Home Solutions. You know, life happens and damage to your home can be extremely stressful. That's why it's important to find someone who offers efficient, quality work with financing options. Exterior Home Solutions, they value not only family, but community. And they're who I call when life happens, and you should too. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Always appreciate our friends Exterior Home Solutions for making all this coverage possible. Busy time for Tennessee football as camp is set to begin next week. And something that Brent did last year and did a, went ahead and did again this year it's a sit-down with Tennessee Athletics Director Danny White. Part one's out there right now. Part two's coming up later today. Uh, Brent, a lot of good stuff already out there from your conversation with Danny White. Well, I think it's interesting where Tennessee is right now, and, and Danny White being very candid uh, to me about a couple of things. One, uh, you know, they released their five-year strategic plan publicly, which is an internal document, but they released that publicly a year ago. They're clearly ahead of schedule on fundraising and ticket sales, uh, given the fact that football sold out. Um, he loves where baseball's at right now from a premium seating sales standpoint. Um, and, you know, just financially likes where they're at. Uh, this will be in part two, so I'll give a sneak peek to this and talking about just kind of where they are financially. 
He's not interested in building a big reserve right now, guys. I mean, he's interested in catching up in facilities. He said that probably one of the bigger surprises is that facilities were behind when he got here. He didn't really expect that. But he also noted to me, uh, as I noted in part one, this job's a better job than he thought he was getting when he took the job. So uh, pretty interesting conversation with, with Danny White about where things are in the athletic department right now, not just football, but the entire department. A lot of alignment, Austin, which is a big deal. Things moving pretty well for this athletic department right now. Well, obviously, you know, when you can get everybody rowing in the same direction, and that's been talked about for years when you go back to when Tennessee had Fulmer and Dickey and Joe Johnson, um, and then they kind of strayed there for in the wilderness for so long. What, what do you make of the comment that this is a better job than he thought it was? What do you think he thought it was, uh, the perception out there before he got here and kind of got to see it and feel it with his own eyes? I, you know, the biggest thing that I, my takeaway from why he thinks it's a better job is the passion of the fan base and the loyalty of the fan base. When you start talking, and we've talked about this, and because we're in it, you know, every day, we're kind of still baffled by it, but but we probably don't appreciate it as much as we, as we should. Given what this program has been through, uh, particularly in football, okay, basketball's not been bad, but given where baseball was until Tony Vitello arrived, all that they've been through, you know, basketball, once Bruce Pearl left, they kind of drifted through the wilderness for a while. The fans have never left this program. They've never left the department. I mean, they continue to give. They continue to come to games. And they're continue, they continue to be extremely passionate about everything Tennessee. I don't think Danny White truly appreciated that or truly grasped that until he got here. Um, you know, whether it's um donors you know continue to give money whether it's you know obviously when you have a packed house on a game day you know the fans are passionate but it's the 365 days out of the year that the passion for tennessee burns so strong for tennessee fans that i don't think danny white had any kind of true grasp of until he got here well brent it sounds like looking at your q a for part one i mean this isn't anything that we didn't already know but he and Donnie Plowman get along great. He and Josh Heupel get along great. Uh, he and Randy Boyd get along great. And, and, you know, alignment is a word that he brought up, but also just the empowerment to go and do your jobs and how everybody there allows everybody just to go and do your job. And, and I think that's a big reason why he feels comfortable here in his first two and a half years has been successful. Well, and it's why he made an amendment into his contract on the last extension that he got where he put in a clause in there that said, if Dondi Plowman's my, not here, my buyout's half to leave on my own versus what it is now. That tells you where he's at with Dondi Plowman. I, I think the biggest takeaway with his relationship with Dondi Plowman is exactly what he said. It's not necessarily the word alignment. It is empowering. Dondi Plowman, and she said this to her credit, Austin, at the press conference where she announced Danny White as the athletics director. He's my guy. I trust him. I'm going to get out of the way and let him go do his job. And she's done that. Now, there are times where he has to have her approval on things. One of those was the decision not to impose a bowl ban in year one under Josh Heupel. Look, she's running the lead on that investigation, right? She, she's the one kind of on the, on the clock with it, so to speak. Danny inherited it. It happened with her. She's managing that through. And he went to her and to Randy Boyd and said, hey, it's not fair to give the current kids a bowl ban. The easy answer, Austin, as we've talked about, would have been to do the bowl ban, right? Because then the NCAA investigation is essentially over. You're never in Cincinnati. 
you know, that they get their, they get their half of the rear end to chew on Tennessee and, and you just kind of move on quickly. Yeah. But he didn't want to, he didn't want to do that. And when he presented it to her, she backed him and said, okay, if that's what you believe, then that's what we go do. And I think it's the empowerment that she lets him do his job. Now, if, if there's something she doesn't agree with, she'll obviously tell him because she's the boss, but she stays out of the way. And, and I think that that's hard to find sometimes in athletics. We saw it years ago with Joe Johnson and Doug Dickey. Joe Johnson came and cheered. He was at all the games and cheered, and Doug Dickey ran the department. And Doug Dickey had a problem. He went and saw Joe Johnson. But otherwise, Joe Johnson said, you're in charge of athletics. Dondi Plowman's very much done that with Danny White. Now, she's very visible in this day and age of social media, but she's not visible, guys, to say, hey, I'm the boss. She's visible because she's cheering on the teams on the campus that she runs. And, um, you know, they obviously have a great relationship, no question. Yeah, I mean, it's just like the head coach that, you know, hires coordinators and gets out of the way. I mean, you don't see Josh Heupel who's not a defensive guy. I'm not saying he can't talk a little defense, but he, he's an offensive guy, right? You don't see him meddling on the defensive side of the ball. He lets Tim Banks and the defensive staff do their thing. And much like, you know, she, you know, she lets Danny White do his thing. She understands what's going on, knows, but, you know, it's his, it's his deal and she lets him do it for the most part. Unlike Jeremy Pruitt, who said, hey, I'll call. You beat me to plays. it, Brent. <laughs> Sorry. Like Jeremy Pruitt said, I'll just call the offense too if they'd let me. <laughs> Who was also the highest paid defensive line coach in the country as well. So a lot of hats that former head coach was wearing. A lot of great stuff there. Brent sat down with Danny White. Part one's already out there at ballquest.com. Stay tuned. Later today, part two is going to be out there. We shift gears now. And Austin, uh, a recruiting decision coming down tomorrow. Tennessee or LSU for a certain cornerback from Orlando. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still really tight um, for, for Kai Bates. Um, he's went back and forth a lot the last, you know, six to eight days. And different times he's had LSU ahead, at different times he's had Tennessee ahead. Kind of like William Satterwhite, who was bouncing all over the place between Clemson and Tennessee. Um, you know, you know, as we said here on Tuesday morning, um, it still feels like, you know, LSU has made a really strong late run here. Um, you know, again, I think that this thing is – Still super tight, still very much up in the air. Could have flipped back. Um, yeah, I, I do think it's, it's – that again, I, you know, you can't pay attention to the recruiting prediction machine in this instance because it's LSU and Tennessee and it's really nobody else. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I think that, uh, you know, LSU has is, is been a school he really likes a lot, likes the staff. I think he's most comfortable with the Tennessee staff you know, but I, I do think that some of the things when he was looking, you know, when he's been looking at, you know, everything has has come up LSU and, you know, I think it's been back and forth and, you know, we'll see if, you know, kind of where this thing happens uh, come, you know, late tomorrow. All right. Let me ask you this. Uh, hold on a second. Let me ask you this, Austin, and not specifically to Kai Bates. Why are we seeing, and is it just an anomaly with Tennessee that when we get to the finish line and there's two finalists or there's three finalists, we're seeing more coin flips than, than, than we've really ever seen. I mean, you think about it. I mean, Ronan O'Connell was a coin flip, didn't go Tennessee's way. You mentioned Satterwhite. Here's Kai Bates. We'll see which way that one goes. Raylan Russell. What, yeah. What, why does it feel like – is that just this class, you think? What, what, what's the reasoning why you think some things seem to be coin flips right up until – normally – you know, 
36 hours before an announcement, you got a real good vibe of where somebody's going. Why is this feel different this year? Or at least it does to me. I just I'm think not in it every day. I just oh, no, it's, it's been the worst class of all time to try to follow and track. Um, <laughs> you can have it dead to rights, and then it changes at the eleventh hour. Um, um, been a war in a coin flip. I, I think. I think the biggest thing is there's just so many variables. You know, sometimes it's nil. Sometimes it has nothing to do with nil, and it's you know the kid just wants to go play for a winner. Sometimes it's you know academics. I mean, you know, we've talked about Bennett Warren and and the academic side. Um, you know, sometimes it's you know outside influences, whether it be a coach or you know a seven on seven coach or mom and dad or grandma or grandpa that kind of tip the scales one way or the other in you know in favor of of a school for a kid. So I, I think that there's a lot of tipping points and uh, you know, I mean, sure. I mean, NIL is a big, it's a big deal, um, you know, in, in college athletics. Now, is it the end all be all? No, you still have to recruit a kid. Like to me, like you don't want kids that if they're only solely driven by NIL and let's say they're getting offered, uh, you know, X by school and they really want to go to that school. And then somebody, Another school offers him X plus fifty bucks. <laughs> you, know, you don't want the kid only that's one that just he wanted wants to go to school, this other school, but he's going to take the extra fifty dollars and go someplace he doesn't really want to go because it's fifty bucks. I, you know, and I know that's kind of like an extreme exaggeration, but the point is you don't want kids that are solely nil driven. You know, all kids want money, right? Like, I mean, hubs, I want to raise, Kane wants to raise, we all want raises, and you got to decide who's worth, who's worthy of a raise, who's not. Same thing with these, you know, with the, with the schools. And let's face it, I mean, everybody wants to talk about collectives. You know, anybody that's actually following this knows that the schools understand what all is happening behind the scenes. This is not some kind of like, you know, you know, Bob and Bill started a collective over here and they're making all the decisions on who gets money and who doesn't. I mean, you know, it, it's a it's a situation where I think when you look at the totality of everything, you know, this is one of those deals where, you know, kids, you know, they – have a lot of different, you know, things they're listening to, things that matter to them. And I think that because of that, they sometimes waffle back and forth and don't really know what to do. And so thus, you know, Tennessee can be leading one minute, not leading the next, and then back leading again five minutes later. And the kid looks like he's all over the map. But in reality, he's looking at it going, okay, I've got these 14 different factors. And, you know, and it just it, it, it weighs around. Last thing on recruiting before we kind of conclude things by closing remarks from SEC Media Days. Uh, still, last week, pretty pretty decent week for Tennessee in recruiting. Five-star Mike Matthews, four-star linebacker Edwin Spillman, and then recruiting weekend coming up as we head into fall camp. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee's with a lot of 25s and 26s, you know, coming in this weekend. Um, and then as far as 24s, you know, Aiden Breland's not coming in. Don't expect Brandon Baker to be here either, the two California kids. But Chris Cole is going to be here, and and that's a big one where Tennessee's got a chance to really uh, get some momentum, and uh, they've they've started to gather momentum in his recruitment. George is probably the biggest you know threat you know for Chris Cole. Miami's sitting there too, but that just probably feels like a little too far away from home to me. You know, I think that that Tennessee, you know, could be that kind of last like you know that's not too far from home. We could you know carpool down with. Peyton Lewis and his family, like the mom and dad, like it, 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 it feels, feels like things are starting to kind of work in the right direction for Tennessee with Chris Cole. And um, that one's one that I think, you know, if he, if he goes in August, 
then Tennessee, I think, could ride the wave of momentum if it, you know, if it's able to get some this weekend to a potential uh, commitment, you know, later in August. And of course, we'll have all that coverage uh, from the weekend and uh, coming out of town uh, later this weekend over at BallQuest.com. Fall camp next week, leading up to fall camp. Brent Hubbs, SEC Media Days, Tennessee, being the home state representative this year in Nashville, Tennessee, the last team to take to the podium. It was Thursday afternoon, and you wrote a column on that, and I thought it was a, a major takeaway from hearing all the players and, and Josh Heupel talk. Um, the, the expectations to win now. I mean, you always want to go out there and, and win football games, but you've beaten some of the big boys now, and so you can do it every time you step out on that football field, and I think it's a belief in Josh Heupel over the last two years that's kind of created that. You wrote about that over at BallQuest.com. Uh, a lot of good positive vibes, if you will, coming out of Tennessee's representatives at SEC Media Days. Well, no doubt. And, and, you know, there's clearly a belief that they have, quote, arrived. They're not, they, they're not cocky and saying they're, they're predicting this or that, but um, they, they were making it clear in their statements on Tuesday that last year was not a, an anomaly. You know, that was the start, and, and they're building off that. They fell short of their goal of, of what they wanted to do. And um, there's a, you know, they have a belief that they can compete with anybody on any given Saturday. You got to go out and do it. We've talked about that schedule. We've talked about key games and all those types of things. But yeah, that represented themselves well. I thought Tennessee presented themselves with a great deal of confidence. Um, not a not a lot of unknowns about where this program is now, who they are, what their identity is, and what they're going to be about. Um, I will give my one soapbox tangent. It's another reason why as I love what he does. Days, That's good, baby. That's why SEC Media Days is maddening to me and drives me crazy. It has nothing to do with the location. But when, when you got Vanderbilt getting five votes to win the SEC East, that makes that thing look more and more like a clown show instead of a, a real media event. Um, and, and I just – I think it's foolish. I think it makes you look foolish. Um, you know, so that that's why I'm not a big fan of the event. But I thought Tennessee represented themselves well. Joe Milton was the – the talk of, of the day on that last day, um, and, and I'm not surprised by that. So uh, it was a solid day for Tennessee. They got that one in the rearview mirror. Josh Heupel finished up a couple of events he's speaking at, and then Josh Heupel will bunker down. His team will bunker down uh, on Wednesday morning uh, next week when they hit the practice field and get this thing started, and we'll see where this football team goes and what they turn into. Awesome, Bryce. Joe Milton not lacking for confidence. He never has, uh, but but again, kind of out the door here easily. Uh, the media darling there on Thursday. So many reporters, cameras, video cameras all huddled around him to see what he had to say, and I think he recognizes now is his time, his last opportunity, and there's a lot uh, at stake for him, and obviously as he goes, Tennessee goes this fall. Yep, and I'm going to get on my soapbox. If I hear one more person that's not a national person, they're not around every day. If I hear one more local media guy ask Joe how – or he can throw a branch and a you know an orange and a you know a grappling hook and, and a football and everything else. I'm going to pull my hair out. What little bit I have left, it's just going to go, you know. I mean, like I mean, I think Joe gets tired of that stuff, man. I mean, he play he, he's a good sport, but and, and you know and you know he loves to tout that arm, but at the same time, it's like you know, come on, guys. We we've known he could throw it a country mile for a long time. This isn't anything new. The question is now is you know how does he perform? you know, in the swamp, you know, September 16th. How does he perform against, you know, A&M at home on October 14th? That's what I'm watching for. And we, let's be honest here. When you're hunting down clicks, you know, that's a that's a May-June title, if you will. I mean, 
football camp starting next week. That's not a question for right now. There's more important things to get to. Uh, but of course, you get a little everything at SEC Media Days. Got plenty of coverage over at VolQuest.com. And uh, we'll continue the conversation with your questions on Thursday for the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast. Go ahead and get in those questions right now over at the General's Quarters. Uh, big thanks to SEC Mike for stopping by the show and uh, giving us his thoughts on the upcoming season and the Tennessee Volunteers. Shout out Bird Dogs as always and Exterior Home Solutions uh, for making this coverage possible. Give them a call today for a free estimate, 865-524-5888, or visit them online, exteriorhomesolutions.com. For Austin Price, Brent Hubbs, I am Eric Kane. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, everybody. This has been the VolQuest Podcast. You've been listening to the VolQuest Podcast every week here on VolQuest.